Hey everyone, what you're about to hear is supposed to be our YouTube video for the week, but we had sort of a technical malfunction with the camera. It stopped recording about halfway through our recording, but we recorded the audio separately and that was all recorded just fine. So we're releasing it as a bonus episode of the podcast this week. So there's no YouTube video this week. This was supposed to be it. Um, it's a short conversation between myself, Michael Moray, Matthew Moray, and Slade Oren as we talk about the new film that we made, The Precinct Deception. The Precinct Deception is available on Google Drive, and I will put the link in this blog post so you can go uh, check it out. I really hope you do. We worked really hard on it. It's a 50-minute movie. That's a, you know, a decent chunk of time uh, and a decent chunk of work that, that we put into it. So I hope you like it. I hope you share it. Um, it is supposed to be the YouTube video, so there are certain things that are a little bit more visual, not a lot of stuff. Usually... I won't say who I'm asking the question to or who I want to answer the question because it was a video so I could just point or nod at them. But other than that, I think it's perfectly fine and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, weary internet travelers, and welcome to the very special Precinct special. I'm joined by Slade Oren. How's it going? Matthew Moray and Mike Moray. Hey. And uh, we all made a movie. We did. Uh, it's called The Precinct Deception and we just premiered it, which is why uh, three quarters of us are very fancy looking. And the other one had the good sense to go home and change. <laughs> so this is the fifth entry into the Precinct uh, franchise. So this is sort of the brainchild of these two in the middle here, the Brothers Moray, as you will. Um, so how did all of this come about way back when? So this movie started off with just a bunch of high schoolers making crappy short films with each other. Um, basically started off making fun of CSI shows and... Uh, parodying that like how ridiculous they were buddy cop movies and then um they went on a big break after like 2007 <laughs> uh but they went away as cult status hits with the 20 <laughs> the 20 people and you watched yeah. them yeah um but they were not forgotten by me <laughs> exclusively you. yeah exclusively me and I tried to go and get sequels made for a period of six years um and eventually we started reviving it back when we were in grad school, and um, now we kind of have a little bit more money, we have a little bit better acting experience, and now we're marginally better at making films. So Marginally. Marginally. Yeah. yeah. And you guys have done other things that aren't um, the precinct, yeah. right? Yeah, and we've always liked, just uh, as kids, just going around filming with video cameras, like we're, whereas some people would just go and, you know, I don't know, play baseball or do other kid things that they're like okay from, from like the 1950s <laughs> we decided to go and make movies for fun in our yeah. spare time that was like our summers every single year is mm -hmm. making something like this um so we went and made like short films like a western and you were part of that as well yes. um and it's just something that we like to go and keep up doing and that's it's fun to do make yeah. something and pull it together like that yeah, um, you guys have been doing this for beyond high school, like since before high school, right? Yeah. You guys have been doing this forever. Since like grade school, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah the three of you guys go super Way far back. back. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You guys all went to elementary school together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Too far back. Cool. Um, so with the precinct, uh, like you kind of mentioned, this is a variation on sort of CSI things and his... Mm -hmm kind of evolved to incorporate some noir uh, conventions and, and stuff like that. What is the premise of this, uh, the Precinct Deception movie? To me, Matthew and I had this long-standing idea for it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to get into it. Yeah, well, the original idea was this kind of a parody of Keith Morrison, who's the host of Dateline, 
because he's always like kind of this creepy personality, even though he's not supposed to be because he's like the host. Yeah. <laughs> but he always comes across as like some like nefarious kind of like, I don't know, underlying. It seems to really agenda. enjoy murders. Yeah. <laughs> a little too much. And so, yeah. yeah. And so the idea was like have like a character like that in the movie and kind of like have him be the mastermind mm-hmm. behind one. Yeah. Um, and then that was always floating around yeah. out there as like an idea even before the previous before, yeah yeah to go and do something like that um, but then like for me the last two movies I kind of start off with the base of like another movie like that's good or and that I think is interesting and use it as the backbone for like one of our movies so the last movie was um, the retribution and Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises. I, I really yeah. have a lot to do with that movie, yeah. like being conceptualized. This one, I kind of based it when I was writing it off of Winter Soldier, actually. Okay. Because there's a part, you know, because Samuel Jackson dies midway through, and then there's like Met the Chief dying. There's like this conspiracy angle that I thought was really interesting. So I always kind of take a movie that I like or that's popular and kind of try to let that inform the backbone of something. Because hey, people like how to make movies. I should go and follow them and maybe follow their structure. Yeah. It's also a little bit like Batman Begins with the whole League of Shadows as the... Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So thematically, you guys have gotten uh, a little more dense than uh, previous <laughs> entries. This yeah. one, I think, thematically has the most going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... I don't know if any of this is intentional, but some of the stuff I got out of it was sort of our relationship to television and the way media is changing and the way we consume media as well as just the things we decide to consume as far as you know one of the running themes is that people love um, tragedies on Mm -hmm. television and uh, that seems very intentional you know Mm -hmm. people tune into these things like uh, like Dateline and and you know almost use these true crime stories as entertainment was that something you guys meant to get into Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I don't know if you want to talk about yeah, it. Good and that's something that I've always been slightly interested in, which is how people take real life situations and then they try to go and profit off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it always kind of struck me as a little weird. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm guilty of watching these kind of things yeah. too, obviously. Um, but it's something that I kind of thought was an angle worth exploring, which is that you know you have horrible situations and then people are trying to get ratings off of it or whatever. And I thought that was like a target that was ripe for satire, especially because. The conspiracy in this movie is is so ridiculous. Yeah. Like it, it's just a heightened version of that kind of cynical view. And I mean, personally, I'm not really a very cynical person, but I thought it was right for satire, and maybe mm-hmm. it comes across as a little cynical in the movie itself. But um, I, that wasn't like the intended be actually cynical about that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed it uses sort of the trappings of this um, specifically post 9/11 cynicism that we yeah. see. Um, but it ultimately ends on this very hopeful note. And mm-hmm. that, I mean, that shines through, I think, more than anything. Um, there's a scene late in the movie when uh, you and your partner decide to go take down everyone behind this conspiracy. And that mm-hmm. seems to reverse the perceived cynicism up to that point. Yeah. Um, there's, there's this, uh, it's just this really great reversal mm-hmm. of the trappings you've been playing with up to that point. Mm-hmm. Because I think it could read as very cynical. Yeah. Um, up to that point, and then it's like, oh no, here's the secret, like the 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 actual message behind the movie is right. That. Well, because the bad guys in the film, they're cynical. Mm-hmm. Like you know, they have like nefarious motives and they want to exploit people. But the good guys in the film actually believe in like hopeful things, 
And so it's important for the good guys to get battered, they get their viewpoints battered a lot throughout the movie. And then the ultimate thing, or that twist, is basically the good guys asserting their worldview. And it's, they don't completely win either in the end of the movie, because at the end of the movie, Kirk's character, my character, he realizes that he can't save everybody, and he goes and has, he ha like Slade's character has to die. <laughs> um, but and it, that is slightly a deception, because he kind of played him a little bit too. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not completely hopeful, but it's at least realistic. It's more balanced than what either side have been presenting throughout the entire movie. Yeah. Yeah, one of the plot threads that runs through this movie is, is um, Slade, you play, uh, you play Mike's ex-partner yep. in it. And you've been there since the beginning. You've been in every single one of these yeah. movies. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah um, we all started together way back in the day. Yeah. But um, I really enjoyed uh, this character because it was... I like playing villains. Okay. It's just kind of a fun fun thing to do and mess around. And um, I really liked kind of the idea of where the character was going um, in, in this one because it, it really, really de deals with kind of what you're talking about, that cynicism versus hopeful mentality um, where, like, the main character, uh, Michael's character, um, has still sees hope in uh, my character and the villain, whereas the villain's, like, given up all hope and he's he's taking it to the extreme. He's the ultimate, cyn like, cynic. Yeah. Right. Um, He's very absolutist. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so we're playing with like that idea a lot throughout the film. And his kind of motivation and his where he's coming from. He he thinks everything's gone. Everything's you know unsavable. Kind of in one of the lines mm -hmm. um, that we have at the end. And um, we kind of figure out that it's 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 not. He, neither character is really right. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's a place in the middle like you were talking about. Yeah. And I just found that pretty interesting. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think that that idea of, of balance really comes through um, in the contrast between you two are obviously set up as foils, yeah. um, especially being ex-partners. And, you know, the, the other layer is that your character in this is actually the brother of a character from the previous films who, is, who has died. <laughs> there's a lot of backstory. Yeah, there's, there's actually it's a convoluted. Yeah. yeah. It's there's hard to get into. There's a long mythos kind of. involved with the, uh, the yeah. precinct. Precinct cinematic universe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Matthew, you held down a lot of the technical aspects of this movie. Yeah. Um, what were the biggest challenges, technically speaking, with this one specifically? Making sure nothing like crashes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, today, today yeah. especially, yeah. yeah. But no, otherwise. I mean, in general, it's been like really smooth. Like we've had experience doing this for a long time with editing and filming. I like photography in general, so like I did the camera work in this one. But I've had a lot of experience over the years doing that. Um, it's just a lot of fun. Like I still enjoy all those aspects. Yeah, nice. Um, I think I think one of the the things you see if you go back and watch the previous one and then watch mm -hmm. this one, the caliber of everyone involved is much higher yeah. this time, mm -hmm. which is sort of strange because none of us have other experience between <laughs> those two. Yeah. Um, I don't know what happened. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you, can you speak to uh, to maybe what what at what happened to where. You know, it looks like it's shot better, the composition's better, it sounds better. Maybe we just became savvier moviegoers, and then that translated in a way that we actually became better at making movies, too. Well, the yeah. last one was, like, done after, like, a really long hiatus, and so we kind of, like, got back into the groove of things with the last one, and so mm -hmm. I think towards the end of filming the last one, we kind of, like, understood what we should do better. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Um, there's a little bit of rustiness needed to be worked out with mm -hmm. the, the last one. Um, I think the writing in this one is also, in some ways, better. I think it's like more tightly written, switching between different like characters, 
Whereas the last one, like, kind of focused on just Kirk's character, like, throughout, mm. without deviating much. And it's always nice to, like, cut between different groups to keep it interesting, keep the flow going. Yeah, the pacing of it helps when you have characters that you're interested in doing stuff that is interesting. It's kind of yeah. a crazy concept. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the thing for me, I think, is really what's, what's different about this film is it's, I feel like it's a very cohesive vision. Yeah. Um, there's less cooks in the kitchen in this particular film that we made because normally it's been a very collaborative process and the last one especially was very collaborative. A lot of people involved. Um, but this one is really like a lot of Mike's kind of vision mm-hmm. and crafting and mm-hmm. Matthew's visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. So it's just basically them two kind of looking at it, trying to make a very clear um, statement. Yeah. And I think that really helps it a lot. And you can really feel the... It just looks very similar. The colors flow together well. It's just like more cohesive and, and just one unique statement. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what makes it a lot... Um, I don't know, just better, you know. Yeah. Yeah, just upgrades. And speaking about like the cast... Um, I feel like with uh, with Norm coming on, a, a much older, seasoned actor and, and anchorman, he really um, just stepped up the level of, of quality yeah. in terms of the acting performances. And yeah. I think everyone else just responded. We yeah. saw what Norm was doing. It was like, yeah. oh, okay, we need to yeah. live up to his level as you know as actors and do our very best to you know pr- produce something quality. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah, I think this is the most consistent thing we've ever made. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I think everything just kind of works. Um, one thing I really, really liked in this movie was uh, the locations and yeah. the way you guys kind of edited edited all of that together. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we know where everything was filmed, mm-hmm. and a lot of it was filmed in separate locations that are then spliced together to be all the same spot. Yeah. And um, I just, I really liked the variety in that. Uh, was that an intentional choice with this one to to switch up the locations? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's something that gets underappreciated in filmmaking, mm-hmm. but changing locations helps go, keeps the flow going. You don't get bored visually. And if you're getting bored visually, you turn off your brain to other things as well. So changing things up, keeping the story moving. Mm-hmm. There's a big chunk in the last movie, for example, where it was just like all under a bridge. And that section is funny, in my opinion, but it's a, it's like at least a third of that movie is there, and it gets a little boring in terms of the geography of the place. Mm-hmm. So that was deliberate, and um, it's just making it more kinetic that way, I think. Yeah, and I think structurally, um, but, I mean, it, it's this weird... I, I noticed it today. This is my second time seeing the movie. Um, I had seen it once before on my TV at home, and then we watched it uh, in a theater with people. And the thing that popped out to me today is the structure of it it's not untraditional. It's not this sort of deconstructionist piece of cinema, mm-hmm. but it's got this kind of off kilter. It's not the pacing, but it's just some of the stuff is a TV show. Yeah. Um, and that gets injected a lot in the second and third acts. You know, the, the typical act breaks are there, mm-hmm. but I don't know. There's something, and you can probably shed more light on this. There's yeah. something to the structure that is a little offbeat, not in a bad way. It's just very unique. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I tried to do when I was writing it is it was more like a five-act structure. Mm. Is that, like, basically the first part of the movie is just, like, the introduction of the characters. Then you have the second part, which is the introduction of Norm's character and his agenda. Then you have... Which, and then it kind of ends with the introduction of the conspiracy. And the third act is really the part where the, you're trying to figure out the conspiracy. All sides are trying to kind of, like, test each other in different ways. Then the fourth act is... Like the good guys kind of realize that they're on the same side, and then the fifth act is kind of just laying, like everything break loose, um, and especially the fifth act is Slade's turn in the movie. So I tried to go and approach it that way instead of a traditional three act structure, and mm-hmm. that's maybe the reason why it feels like 
it's it kind of ramps up to something and then it kind of pulls back and then yeah. it ramps up and there's a little bit of ebb and flow to it which i think helps in some ways yeah yeah and it's also uh, the mystery of it is structured very nicely in that i felt like the movie is always one step ahead of me mm-hmm. which is good filmmaking but i think the second time through it i was able to appreciate it mm-hmm. more because i could I knew how the machine worked already. Yeah. You know, I know you guys have probably seen yeah. it to death. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so the first time I had seen it, I was like, okay, okay, okay. But it's a, it's not hard to follow, but you're just trying to connect all the yeah. threads. Mm-hmm. And so I left kind of exhausted by it, yeah. um, which is good. You know, mm-hmm. that means that it engaged my brain. But then the second time through it, I really, like, I knew where everything was headed. And so all the connections made sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like a 50-minute movie with kind of like three sets of villains mm-hmm. in terms of Norm, Slade, and also the conspiracy aspect. Yeah. Like, there's so a lot happening. There's a lot going on yeah. in the short period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, was it hard balancing all that? Yeah. I mean, one thing that I like doing is I like having multiple layers of villains. And especially with this one, I like the idea of, you didn't really know like where it was going to end up in the end and so that kind of keeps you as the audience guessing mm-hmm. so it doesn't feel as predictable like yeah. you know the slay's going to play some sort of role in the end but you don't know how or yeah. in what way and it's then, more like, like a personal struggle between the two of you whereas the other conspiracy aspect in the norm villain like is more of like the actual threat overarching like threat yeah yeah and uh you know the big idea was also slade's role like I wish it had been bigger, but at the same time, we're making a 50-minute movie. And, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, but, like, it's very deliberately played in terms of having him at the beginning of the movie, having him midway through the movie, reminding you who he was, what he's all about, and then at the end of the movie, so you'll always, like, have this running threat in the background, like, this guy is yeah. going to do and other something. other characters are mentioning Slade's character, yeah. so it's not like he just comes out of nowhere. Right. right. That was a big thing, is to go and make sure that he was kind of felt throughout it. Yeah. There's no unwelcome surprises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, we want that level of surprise, but you don't want it coming like to not to make sense. Yeah, too. like because yeah. then, then cause you have like a surprise sometimes, and it will feel like it's cheap. Yeah, you're, you're like you're cheating mm-hmm. almost, mm-hmm. and that was something I tried to avoid with this one. Yeah, um, it is an action comedy, and uh, yeah. we shot this on zero money. <laughs> um, so, what are yes. what are the struggles of construction constructing an action sequence ba- uh, with nothing to go off? Of? I don't know. You want to talk about that? <laughs> well, part of it is having like very few actors, and <laughs> yeah, having people like in mass so they can like be interchangeable and come in and out of the scene yeah. so you can make it look like there's a lot of people when there's only like two people really there mm-hmm. yeah. but you know working within limitations sometimes breeds really good stuff mm-hmm. too and I think that's something that we appreciate is how we can like be creative and like flex our brains to make it work mm-hmm. despite the limited number of people or mm-hmm. props or locations yeah. or whatever and it forces us to go and I think make things unique and different mm-hmm. each time we try it because it's like why why bother and do this at all if we're not going to like make it different yeah yeah i know for me i kept in action scenes i kept wanting to like do more and bigger and like break things yeah you know like punch people and like break a wall and make it look realistic yeah you know felt more but we don't have options when we're borrowing space from a friend in their office we can't just like break stuff or like throw things around or anything so we have to do what we can and then throw some special effects on top to try to make it look more uh, tangible mm-hmm. and real and exciting yeah. and um, the impactful, yeah. uh, which is really hard to do. Yeah. So you really kind of have to think about how you want to structure and how you want to choreograph things that are happening in mm-hmm. these action sequence to make it still exciting mm-hmm. um, with our with the limitations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it just it's it's this weird little puzzle that you have to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, so as people head into watching this movie and, and streaming it, and we'll get into the end of how you can uh, you can you can watch the the film. Um, what do you guys want people to notice or take away from from the film as a whole? Uh, I would like them to maybe just take notice of the message that's being sent there. And I'm not trying to make like some sort of political statement, but you know, I just think that paying attention to that, I try to go and make a story that had a little bit more of a point than usual. Um, that doesn't just meander, but I also um, would like people to take appreciation and uh, of the humor too. And that's something that we didn't really talk about, but at the end of the day, like, this is something that was meant and started off as being mostly comedy. And then, yeah, it's a joke. And, yeah, yeah, you know, it, it is a lark. I mean, we have somebody who's wearing like a ridiculous beard and all that. And, you know, I think we try, we all tried really hard to go and make sure that the movie, yeah, it deals with some weighty themes, but at the same time, it has fun. Yeah. And it, like, it's it's surreal. It's a little weird. I mean, the Death Inc. people in this movie are like <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I think, like, keeps you interested because one thing that I always feel strongly about is having um, this bandwidth with a movie which is that you can go in ha- with these pre movies especially which is that it makes you vulnerable because you're laughing and then because you're laughing you can actually care about things and feel emotional it opens you up mm-hmm. like you're almost like you lower your defenses so you can let the other parts of the movie kind of sink in mm-hmm. yeah it's this magic trick of like it's this misdirection of let's get you laughing at these dumb CSI guys. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's sneak in this message about how cynicism leads to not good roads, mm-hmm. and in the end, you need to be hopeful, even if you can't save everything. Right, you have to be able to act where you are. Yeah, um, I think that's that's a really smart uh, answer. Um, what about Matthew? What do you what do you want people? There's not much to add to yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Said it perfectly. Like, I think we tried really hard to have a balance between comedy and drama. And I think we just take appreciation of, I hope you can enjoy all aspects of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's never, it's never perfect, but I think yeah. we got closer this time yeah. than we've ever gotten doing before. Better each, each iteration. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it played great in front of the audience today. Like, mm-hmm. I, was, I was really happy with the way the audience responded to it. Yeah. Um, I think that's the best I've seen people respond to something we made. Yeah, yeah, I um, agree with that. And it was, it was great. Um, I just say just enjoy it. I mean, just take it for what it is. It's it's us hanging out as friends yeah. and trying to make something that's entertaining and fun. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's it. So just kind of take it with a grain of salt and just uh, enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, to kind of wrap it up, what was your guys' favorite moments on set? Ooh. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, um, I have one. I just I, w- I was less involved with this one as, as I have previously. Um, so I was mostly just acting as an actor. Um, and that way, I had a really good time. Just um, kind of like, like I said, I like being a villain, but trying to just create a character and like embody that character and kind of like feel his emotions and express that in a real way. Yeah. Um, and try to like make his story something that comes across on film and how he's feeling and mm-hmm. what he's been through and his relationship with the other characters. Um, try to make that very visible and understandable. And that just that whole process for me of of creating this character was was really fun and you know mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed that mm-hmm. I think my favorite part was the last fight scene it was like just really fun to like plan that through and like yeah like we like planned it out all out ahead of time and then it's just like I don't know it's always enjoyable like kind of like solving this puzzle of how yeah. do you make this entertaining how do you make the pace have like the right pace 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like get from like this point to the end, like logically. Yeah, because I mean, you can have people just shooting at each other, but that can be boring. How do you go and have a flow to it yeah. and progress? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And someone's gaining the upper hand, who's not? I think is yeah. really you know like a good pro- a problem to solve. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. I like to, I like the last scene because it was like this is it. This is gonna yeah. be like the thing that felt ties the whole movie that, together. Like, that was kind of one of the last things we filmed, so like it just yeah. felt good to like like finally get that out there. Yeah. Um, Beyond that, I think, you know, as someone who, who wrote it, I have a very different conception of what the movie was going yeah. to be in my head when I was writing it. <laughs> Just like, yeah. if you read some of the script, it's like, there's scenes that take place underground, or this or that, or yeah. oh, abandoned warehouses. And in the movie, you know, when you make a movie, nothing turns out the way exactly that you planned no. it was going to be. No. So I have, like, the benefit of having basically like, two versions of the movie, the one that was in my head, mm. and the one that we actually made. Yeah. And both of them are valid, and I enjoy both of them. Yeah. And so I feel, like, privileged to go and have that experience, you know? So. Yeah, great. Um, well, where can they find the movie? Well, eventually it'll be on YouTube <laughs> and other streaming sites, maybe. So okay. yeah, keep, keep an, an eye out. Eye out. Yeah. Uh, we'll post the link. Uh, we'll certainly have the link and a blog post up about this over at thatrealperspective.blogspot.com. That's that r e e l perspective.blogspot.com. Um, in the meantime, you can find us right here on YouTube. You can hit the subscribe button right down there. Um, you can find the podcast that that we do for the before and after show over on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, BeyondPod if you're an Android user. You can find me at MJ Smith, uh, at MJ Smith 891 on Twitter. Uh, do any of you guys have a Twitter you want to plug? Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Not Twitter savvy at all. Not Twitter savvy at all. All right. Um, well, uh, until next time, go watch The Precinct Deception. Please. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.